0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. I want to thank Brian for that introduction. I feel ancient now. If we could have just stopped at a decade, <laughs> but, but decades—I was—I was waiting for decades and decades. <laughs> well, you thought you were getting out of Ephesians uh, this this week, but we're back in it. And um, because, for me, as we think about Light Church being one year old, we have to really think about what's. Is there a place for the church in the world in which we live in today? Is, is this something worth going? Is this something worth planting? Is this something worth cultivating? And the great thing is when you're involved in church planting is that you have to be absolutely convinced that this is worth your time and your effort. The giving of yourself, your talents, your treasure, your time that to be a church, to be a community, is to make a relevant, lasting, transformative impact upon the community, the city in which we live. And so, I have to say there's certain topics that I'm passionate about when I get the opportunity to teach on, and the idea of the church, the church's community, is one of them. Because for me, it has been anything but a straight line to come to this point in my life. I am Jewish. I was raised in a Jewish home. My background, I was circumcised. I was bar mitzvah. I don't remember the circumcision, but I remember the bar mitzvah. And um, and and then I was confirmed. Uh, I was raised in a family where my mom was a generalist. All roads led up the mountain. It's. Uh, that whether you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or whatever, that all roads led up the same mountain, but the Jewish road was special. Uh, and, and that's how I, how I lived. My dad was an atheist. If my, if, for my dad, if there ever was a God, God was destroyed in the gas chambers of Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen. And so, when I went to university, I decided to rent a flat, rent an apartment. I'm switching into English because of South Africa. Um, Rented an apartment with a guy that I had played baseball with, but he was graduating university that year. And on my list of things to do was to figure out what I was going to believe about God. And I had swapped my best friend in sixth grade for his Bible because we were comparing Bibles one day and didn't see any difference, but his had pictures in it. And I thought that was kind of cool. And so I borrowed his Bible, but never gave it back to him. So I decided to take that book with me when I went to university. And there in October of my first year at university, I was reading through the Gospel of Mark and I was facing a surgery and I said, God, if you are who you say you are, you can heal my jaw. And I just experienced over the next weeks, didn't know it, uh, but 10 weeks later, I was brushing my teeth in anticipation of the surgery, and I noticed that what was going to be corrected by surgery had been eliminated by prayer. And so, so after a period of time, I thought, well, I should probably check out the church. And when you're Jewish... You, you've watched Hollywood movies, and so you realize that there's a Catholic church, and they're identifiable because their priests wear those dog collars around their neck. And so I went to a Catholic church, and I couldn't square what I was seeing with what I was reading. That the scriptures were full of life, but in the parish that I, that I went to, it just seemed so drab and boring. And then I checked out the Episcopalians, and then I went to the Lutherans, and I went to the Presbyterians, and I went to the Southern Baptists, I went to Pentecostals, and I just didn't see what I was reading in Scripture because the problem wasn't any of those churches. The problem was me because I wasn't engaging. I didn't see myself as part of that family in that group. And then after that, because I was judgmental, hostile, I fell away and really started to live a life that was my worst nightmare. And about three years later, I was invited by a friend to, I was living up in the San Francisco Bay Area, I was invited by a friend to go to the church that he was going to. I met with a pastor and fell in love with Jesus again but even more significantly for my life, I fell in love with the church. Not the church as an organization but the church as a community on the move. And so this morning as we think about approaching one year in the history of this church called Light Downtown, uh, I want to reflect. I said, I titled this morning, The Church in Four Questions, but because the church is people, the church is really a community. Always was intended to be a community. The word church, in our mind, goes to institution or goes to organization, but it really just simply means people assembled for a common purpose. And so this morning, we're going to reflect on that, and I'm going to set the timer on my watch. Because I'm old, (laughs) time goes by very fast. So listen, I want to look at the first question that we're going to ask this morning very quickly. Uh, As a church plant, you have to be convinced about the significance of the church. So before we talk about community, we have to be convinced of the significance of the church. So question number one is, what is the significance of the church? And the first thing is, is that the church is central to the gospel. She is not accidental. As Paul says in verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Jesus Christ our Lord. You cannot separate the gospel from the church or the church from her gospel that birthed her. Uh, we are a community in Christ, which means we're rooted in Christ. We have our being in Christ. We have our location in Christ. The space we inhabit as a people is located mystically in Jesus Christ. Secondly, the church is central to Christian living. She is not incidental. Paul talks about in verse nine, to make everyone see what the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. She, she's, she's intentional. How do we live together? How do we form our understanding of ourselves? It's, it comes about as we embrace this plan of God revealed throughout ages, longer than decades. We're talking ages. In case you haven't noticed, God is old. Okay, God is old. He, he goes back a long time. And this view of community has been rooted in his master plan for the ages. The church is central to Christian mission. She is not negligible. The church is not irrelevant. verse 10, through the church, the mystery of God might be made known. It's through us. We're, We're not like peripheral to God's plan. We're essential to the plan of God as he makes his kingdom presence known on earth as it is in San Diego, as it is in heaven, in San Diego as it is in heaven. God intends to use his communities to make his presence known. So the church is significant. Secondly, what is the nature of the church? We have to be convinced if we're going to plant this church in downtown, that there are attributes that that make us recognizable. So what's the nature? of the church. First is the church is God's new creation. She's intentional. In verse 15 of chapter 2, that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of two. Jesus says to Peter, you can see this in Matthew's Gospel chapter 16 verse 18, he says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. So, So we have to be absolutely convinced that we're not a byproduct of our times, that we're not simply a cultural expression of, of a religious affinity. We have to be absolutely convinced and convicted that we are the intentional expression of Jesus to San Diego. Thankfully, we're not the solitary expression of Jesus to San Diego, but we are, as a community, the intentional expression of Jesus to our city. Secondly, the church is a deviant family form. She is unconditionally relational. Paul talks about that we're members of the same household, that we're, that this community is a family, and like families to be healthy, The relationships are unconditional which can be a bit of a problem at time unconditional because it's rooted in God's grace expressed through the cross relational because he calls people into relationships this community is no longer marked by alienation but by reconciliation no longer division and hostility but unity and peace and the third nature of the church that I'd highlight that we're talking about specifically this morning is that the church is a new community. It's a new family and it's a new community because for those of you who have read through the book of Acts, you can see that the church was formed by people who were historically hostile to one another. Jews and Gentiles. Jews had an affectionate pet name for Gentiles. They were called dogs or they were called pigs. And so God brought together these people people groups that were formally estranged because to follow Jesus meant you were frequently going to get booted from your family, that your family relationships, your earthly family relationships, would find your decision socially unacceptable. When I finally shared with my mom and dad that I had become a follower of Jesus, my dad looked at me and he said, you've become like a Nazi to me and we'll have nothing to do with you. They gave me two days to gather my things out of our home and to move out and didn't see them or talk to them for three and a half years after that. It's a deviant community, but I was part of a new community and that community became family to me. So we, we are, this community is a deviant family form. It's a deviant community. God brings us together to become something new as, as it says in Ephesians, one new humanity made up of the old, made up of the two, made up of those formerly alienated from one another, to be this new novel and radical expression of Jesus Christ. When I was going through graduate school and seminary, the, the big thing was to grow a church you had to have what they called, you're gonna love this, homogeneous growth groups. And the idea was, if you wanted to plant a church and you wanted to grow that church, you identify a particular type of person and then you build your church around that person that, interestingly enough, looked like you as the person who was planting. Well, this was wonderful. It was just an institutional expression of narcissism because you simply look to attract people who were just like you. But that's not God's vision of community. In verse 10 of chapter 3, so that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety... That doesn't sound like homogenous growth groups to me. This, the church as a community is meant to be multicultural, and it's meant to be multi-generational. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic book called Life Together, which is about being in Christian community, says, into the community you were called. The call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross, you struggle, you pray, you are not alone, even in death. And on that last day, you will, only, you will be only one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. If you scorn the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ. And thus your solitude can only be hurtful to you. Your solitude can only be hurtful to you. When I was drawn back to Jesus, I was part of this church in the East Bay that was multicultural and it was multigenerational. And everything about that experience set me on a new trajectory. In that church, I learned about worship, I learned about prayer. I learned about the duration of prayer as I met people. I was younger than you, but met people older than me who talked about prayer and how they've been praying for the community for decades. I learned about worship, I learned about prayer, I learned about how to do daily devotions there I learned about mission, how to be engaged with the community locally and then globally. I learned about formative disciplines that shaped me. And I discovered through them the art of further study. That I was meeting women and men who were reading Christian literature that rarely gets read today but develops our understanding of our faith, both both theologically and practically. Through, through them, I read books that talked about spiritual disciplines. I looked, read books that expanded my understanding of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit. I learned about Christian community through small groups. And then eventually, after I graduated from seminary, my wife Carol and I, we moved to England where we lived in an intentional extended Christian community where we lived with other adults in the same home in London. And we would meet each morning for prayer and worship. We would go around and share any insights that God had given us in our devotional time. And then the rest of the day, we were engaging in different forms of ministry uh, in London and then out of London around different places. Uh, both in Britain, on the continent, and then here in the States and Canada. Community has shaped me. It's grounded me. It's the gravity that has kept me in orbit around Jesus Christ. Because there will be times when you're disappointed. There's times when you drift. There's times when you rightfully question there's times when it's it's appropriate to doubt. There's times when you're going to, to use a current word today, you're gonna to start to deconstruct things that you learned and you understood. And to have a community that's expansive enough to tether you relationally, not be anxious because you're asking adult questions, finally, it, it, it becomes essential because the Christian life was never intended to be alone. In fact, all of Scripture teaches that. Sean, can we put up those slides? Okay. So the role of Scripture is to shape a people. The nature of God is Trinity, three in one, the creation of humanity from the very beginning, not alone. And then if we do an overview of the Bible, let's go on to the next slide. Community is the norm of Scripture. We are created in community, redeemed in community, made holy in community. We have a community history. We have a community hymnal. We have community values and norms. We are judged as a community and we are delivered as a community. Let's go on to the next slide. In the New Testament, it's no different. We are called to a community, discipled in community, experienced the resurrection appearances in community. We receive the Holy Spirit in community. We are sent out by community. An apostolic mission is engaged through micro-communities. All the letters in the New Testament address a community, even Philemon. Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, while personal, contend for leadership and community that is grounded in the gospel. Even the seven letters of revelation are addressed to a community. I think that's the last one, right? Yep, thanks, Sean. Everything about the scriptures is rooted, cultivates, develops, encourages, and takes community in Christ as as significant, relevant, and powerful. So the nature of the church. So what are the expectations of Christians who are in community? The unique thing about Christian community is is that we are one decision away or one generation away from extinction. All it takes for Christian community to become extinct is for you and I to make a decision not to be part of one. You don't become a Christian because your parents were Christians. So the community in Christ that Paul describes is always one generation away from extinction. And if we're one generation away from extinction, then the gospel presence of Jesus and the people that exist to make him known are on the verge of extinction. In every generation, Christian community is an endangered species unless we are deliberate to value community, to nourish community, to cultivate community, to extend that community, and to include others into that community. So what are three simple things? So when we think about Light Church, North County, or here downtown, what, what do we think about as the expectations for women and men who are going to be part of that community. And I'm going to summarize it under three headings. The first is engagement. You're present. You show up. You participate. You engage. You don't stand on the outside looking in. You don't simply make it part of your social portfolio for the week. That that you engage. You're intentional. You engage with your whole heart, which means, secondly, investment. You are using your time, your talent, and your treasure on behalf of the community. Now, this doesn't mean that we simply become so invested in this community that that we become an inward-looking community. We invest internally so that we can focus externally. So we invest our time, our talent, and our treasure. Let me, let me start with treasure because most people have this really broken view that the church is about money. You know, the great thing is, is in the U.S. is that by being a 501c3, if you ever want to see how money is expensed here at Light Church downtown, you can ask for a, a, a sheet of expenses and income, because being a nonprofit, we have to have transparent reporting. So you can always say, Brian and Caitlin, how, how does our money get used here? Okay. So, so we're committed, as part of Light Church, it's part of the Benji's experience as your ultimate overseer here, is that we are absolutely committed to rigorous stewardship of the tithe that comes in. So let's talk about tithing for a moment. Tithing is the concept that we see in Scripture of worshiping God with the first fruits, uh, agricultural view, uh, uh, perspective. It's agricultural perspective. Tithing was first about the crops you grew before it ever was about the money that you earned because in other cultures of the world that are agricultural, you don't trade in money, you trade in harvest. And so the idea of the tithe was is that you would present to God the first fruit, the first 10% of your harvest, and make that as an offering to God with the idea that in giving it away, you're giving it to another to control as a sign of surrender, as an act of worship, and as a deliberate expression of a desire to be submitted to God. It's almost like the understanding is is that when we aspire to give God 10%, he knows that we have de- an aspiration to devote to him 100% of who we are. That desire to give 10% reveals the, de- reveals the devotion to surrender 100% of our lives. Now, when you get to the New Testament... People have been arguing for years, is the tithe to continue? Should it be 10%? Should it be less? My perspective is this, generosity as an act of worship is what is celebrated in the New Testament. Now I happen to think, because of Paul's background, that he would presume that the concept of the tithe continues through the New Testament. However, the 10% is not a ceiling, it's just a beginning. The one thing I'm absolutely certain of is is that the giving is intentional. The giving is discipline. It's not simply emotionally driven, it's not simply casual. I'll I'll give the church kind of a few pennies um, because they probably need it and it makes me feel good about myself. It's disciplined and it's devoted. Years ago, at the first church I pastored, there was a person on our board who was speaking so critically of the community I was pastoring, so disparagingly of my leadership in a way, I don't mind pushback or criticism, but this exceeded that. And he was actually suggesting that he should, I should continue to pastor, but I should pastor under his leadership. And the next morning, I was reading for my devotions that morning, and there's this, there's this verse in Matthew's Gospel, chapter six, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So it has always been my policy as a pastor never to know what anyone gives in the church. But the next morning, I went into the office And I said to our bookkeeper, I I said, Ann, can you tell me? I don't want to know what this person is giving, but you know this person. Can you look at their tithing record and answer this question? Does this person look that they treasure the work of Jesus in this community? Does their tithe record indicate, reflect a love for this community? And I could barely get the question out, and her response was no. I said, well, I know you're smart, and I know you're good with numbers, but you couldn't have possibly done your addition that quickly. And she said, no, it's easy because there's nothing. I said, what do you mean nothing? She says, nothing. That in the time that that person had been here there was no record that they had ever tithed a penny. Now, even back then, decades ago, cash offerings weren't great. People gave by checks as the offering plate went around. And so she says, we have no record. Well, even if all the cash in the offering plate was his, it would have still been next to nothing Because giving not only reflects a discipline and a devotion of a life that endeavors to live submitted and surrendered to Jesus, but it reflects whether we as individuals treasure the presence and the working of Jesus in the community that we are truly a part of. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. Verizon used to have a commercial on, on television that basically was, it was when they were advertising cell phones and the whole idea that you could do work while you were in the car driving and stuff. And so it had people going up to like an ATM machine and saying, uh, I would like two more hours in my day. I would like 45 minutes more in my day. I would like an hour more in my day. And the, the machine would give them a cell phone. And time becomes the next precious commodity that, that we invest. To build community requires your time. Because it takes more time because community is more challenging than the affinities that we usually invest in. So the reality is, is that we do invest our time in our friends, in people who are like us. Life becomes sociologically kind of like a lazy river in a water park. That if you get in a lazy river and lift your legs, the current of the water just kind of floats you around. And so as you go through your lazy river, you find that you tend to hang out with people who are in the same river as you. Same river as you when you're single, then you might get married. And before you know it, you're not hanging around single women and men as much. You're now hanging around young marrieds who are in your same station of life. And then you have children. And then you find that you're hanging around with people who are in the same season of life when your children are little, or when your children are older, or when your children are teenagers, and then they go off to college, and again, the lazy river just carries you around. The only way to get out of that river is to put your feet down and make an intentional decision to get out. And that's the same thing about community. It requires the intentionality of our time to intentionally engage with women and men that are different than us. Different ethnically, different generationally, different seasons of life. But to be deliberate, because that kind of community is what anchors the soul and prospers the spirit as we seek to be developed as women and men in Christ. Together. And then your talents, your skills, your aptitudes, your creativity. The goal of community is not to turn the congregation of that community into good church volunteers. The purpose of community is to build lives that can then. Be given generously to penetrate, to impact, and to transform the city that God has placed us in. So your time, your talent, your treasure. One of the things in the pre service, when I joined Brian and Caitlin and the team that's serving us this morning, is just looking around and just going, thank God for this team, otherwise the mornings wouldn't be set up, the chairs wouldn't be set out, the sound equipment wouldn't be set up. We wouldn't have women and men that are there to receive your children. And this is just in the early stages of this plant. It takes a lot for us to gather and put this on. It takes time and effort to coordinate the the tables, the open tables. We haven't even gotten to mission yet. What God wants to birth entrepreneurially through you, your eyes, your relationships, the places where God has placed you in the marketplace or at the university, in the neighborhoods in which you're living, your time expressing this community, inviting and encourage others to come alongside you, the goal is not how many people we have sitting here. The goal is out there, how many lives can we touch and bless to extend the presence of Christ and to build community? Because, listen, not only are the kids not doing well in our culture, neither are the adults. Neither are we. Our suicide numbers, our depression numbers, our isolation numbers are continuing to go up despite the fact that we've made it through a pandemic. But our mental health is not good. The isolation, the depression, the discouragement, the despair, people feeling what's the use, It used to be that only the elderly felt this nagging fear of irrelevancy. But now it's present in all generations. And Jesus has something to say about that. The solution is both in his life-giving presence, but it's also through his life-giving community. He will not be separated from us. And one of the ways that he expresses that is by drawing us into community. The third thing, which I'm not going to go into, so engagement, investment, the third thing is deployment, sent out. Uh, That's going to be a, a focus, I think, in the third part of the series, so I'm not going to go there, but the sending out of the church. How I used to pitch it when I was pastoring was show up through worship and prayer, serve, grow, Go and give. And giving for people who are thinking about uniting with us, I would just say in a simple talk, show up, worship and pray, serve, grow in Christ, go in his name and give. We go through different seasons in life when going may not be possible for us. Attending a Bible study or things may not be possible for us. But giving is always possible for us. We can always give our treasure. We can always give our time. And we can always give our skills. Investment is always possible. So what are the viral threats? Let me just highlight some of them. Consumeritis is reducing God's plan to what meets our needs, agrees with our opinions, as attractive people like me. The consumer Christian who chooses a church that they presume agrees with them, will make them happy and keep their kids safe, will destroy community. Let me tell you, pastors are insecure, and given the culture wars that are going on around us, I meet pastors all the time who feel that they are one sermon away, from emptying their church. It's why a lot of pastors no longer preach expositionally by going through books because if you go through a book of scripture, you are always going to have to teach on something that makes you uncomfortable. If you keep it to topics that you know won't offend anybody, then it becomes safe in your leadership because Most pastors realize that the minute someone who is attending the church they pastor disagrees with what the pastor is saying, that person will leave. And that is the height of the consumer Christian. Choosing for what makes you feel happy, safe, comfortable, and is in alignment with your views. And the trouble with that is is that As far as I can tell, most books of the Bible are being written in a way that people will find disagreeable. I mean, we have a whole section in the Old Testament called the prophets, and I don't think anybody was agreeing with them as they read through that. So consumeritis, first virus that can kill us. Myopia, myopia is is being short-sighted, nearsighted. Nearsightedness is when you can't see people far away. So all you can do is see the people and the opportunities that are up close that serve you, make you feel good about yourself. The opposite of that is hyperopia, which is farsightedness, which is you can only see the needs globally. And so you'll write a check and you'll give globally. You'll help disaster relief. You might even go on a short-term mission trip, but you won't see anything near to you. So you can walk past need and walk past people on a day-by-day basis who are in your neighborhood or are where you work or where you go to school and you can completely be blind to them, their circumstance, their needs, their situation in life because you only see things that are at a distance. Narcissism, only hanging out or investing in others who represent what you love and are attracted to. Ethnicitis is the fear or disregard of others of different ethnicities or races. I know this disease is caused by contextual factors, but we live in a diverse world and it's not going woke to celebrate that diversity. Jesus has always celebrated diversity. And you see it in the Gospels by the fact that he, he welcomes women and men equally. But he also reaches out to Samaritans. And there was a North African who carried his cross. I mean, the, the examples of ethnic diversity in Scripture. And then that phrase that in most of our Bibles is translated to the nations, that word in the Greek is the word that we get ethnic from ethne to the nations to the peoples of the world koinonitis koinonia is the greek word in the new testament for fellowship koinonia, koinonitis is that virus that causes you just to say we are going to be the most huddle bubble in the city we're just going to focus in on ourselves making sure that everybody's need is addressed, every boo-boo is kissed, everyone gets a hug. It's we're just going to be the church of the warm fuzzy. Which at first, you know, especially if you're coming broken, the church that sees herself that way will be really quick to give you a hug, and that will feel so welcoming. But after a while, you'll just start to have the life drained out of you because it's not a community that Jesus wants to sustain. And you can sense it the minute you walk into that church because there's no vitality. There's no vitality. Arrested spiritual development. I love that show, Arrested Development. Has anyone watched that? Um, So, arrested spiritual development is when you freeze in time and maybe you came to Christ as a teenager or as a young adult, but you never move on. You're just like an eternal adolescent. Your mind doesn't grow, your faith doesn't grow, your relationships don't grow, you don't mature, and therefore conflict creates fear, new things changing, opportunities, new things happen in the world. How are we gonna think about that? You know. There's these things, there's these occupations now called genetic counselors. Uh, Genetic counselors will take a woman and man who are are looking to have a baby and they can work with you on either choosing a donor egg and looking at that, but you can, we're gonna get to the point pretty quickly where you can map and understand what kind of child do you want? Do you want someone who's gonna excel in the arts? Do you want someone who's going to be more uh, in terms of engineering and applied sciences. Do you want a blonde or a redhead, a boy or, a girl? I mean, you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. So how are we gonna think about that ethically? What's, what's our worldview gonna to do to grow and adapt so that we can address redemptively, not judgmentally, but redemptively, the beautiful options that are presented to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not afraid of change. He's not afraid of new trends. He's not at war with our culture. He wants to redemptively engage through communities of Christ. We have to grow. We might have to listen to a book attend a class, be part of a Bible study, a book study. But we, we cannot be first-year Christians when, we, when we've been following him for 10 years. His kingdom is growing. He's addressing new things, and we, we have to grow, and we have to expand. How do we think about the marketplace? How do we think about penetrating our marketplaces now that a lot of us work on distributed teams that are working entirely online and through, uh, through different apps and things. I mean, how are we going to think about that? How are we going to penetrate that? Communities in Christ coming together, growing, and, and applying their shared ingenuity that is inspired by the Holy Spirit can be very effective together hyponumia, a condition caused by a subnormal level of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, decades ago, I felt my get-up-and-go got up and went. I was gaining weight. I couldn't exercise. I just found that if I went to go play basketball, I could hardly run the court. And so I finally went to the doctor and told him my condition. He took some blood. and He says, oh, you're hypothyroid. You, you don't have any thyroid. And so they started adjusting, adjusting my thyroid. This is like in my mid-30s. And then all of a sudden, my giddy-up came back. When a church is just trying to do it on her own, simply through human skill or simply through human relationships, we'll be lifeless. You can show up every week, but it'll be lifeless because we don't welcome the presence and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit into our midst. Someone once observed that if God withdrew the Holy Spirit, even the church would recognize it in time. Hyponumia is when we just simply try and gut it out on our own, and we don't welcome the Holy Spirit. And finally, hypernumia is just the opposite when everything is spiritual, when nothing can be human. It, everything has, has, has to be the Lord. Everything has to have a spiritual message, a spiritual consequence. Everything has to, and then what, what begins to happen is, is that our spirituality becomes dislocated from our humanity. God's not embarrassed by our, our humanity. In fact, going back to it in terms of the nature of the church and the significance of the church, it's all about humanity. Male and female, he created us. It's all about being human. Have you seen Barbie? Have you seen Barbie? That's like one of the best movies I've seen in years. And, and, and the, there's, I mean, if I was preaching, I would do a four-week series on Barbie. It, it would be called Christ and Barbie. Or it might be called Christ, Barbie, and Ken. But for me, we're that movie. Changed was when she's sitting on the bench and she notices a woman who's decades and decades older than me. And, and Barbie looks at this woman and she looks at her. She's never seen an old person before who's not disguising their age. This woman is not afraid to be her age. And Barbie looks at her and she says to her, you're beautiful. And after like a moment of silence, the woman responds back and says, this is great. I know. <laughs> okay. that, that woman was comfortable with her own humanity. And then the rest of the movie, from my perspective, is our lessons in what it means to be human, but a humanity that is fractured because it's externally defined by things and attributes rather than an identity that's been given as a gift that Christ offers us. And a church that has to make everything so spiritual that we can't be human, phrase I grew up on was too spiritual for God, will not be a Christ imparting community. Because in Ephesians and 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about new creation in Christ. Paul is not afraid of humanity. In some letters, he's actually addressing churches who are afraid of theirs. So, like Church Downtown, we are approaching in September one year. The roots we lay in these first years are going to be the roots that grow the tree and produce the fruit. And in order to sow those roots deep, you are the soil that Jesus wants to root this tree. You are the dirt, you are the soil, you're the fertilizer that's going to grow this tree. And dear ones, you have to decide whether we will invest our time, our talent, and our treasure to produce and grow this community, which can be a tree of life to the city of San Diego. It's you. It's not Brian and Caitlin. It's not the team of volunteers we have now, it's you. And the challenge for you is will you engage? Attending is not engagement, it's just that. It's like going to a movie. You don't engage with the people in the theater, you engage with what's on the screen. So we thank God that you might be engaging the Word of God when we gather for worship on Sunday morning, but that is attending It is not engagement, it is not investment, and it certainly won't set you up for deployment, which is our ultimate goal in building this community. So happy anniversary to us, and let's go forward together. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.